0: Hey everyone, Brandon Jenkins here. I'm going to share the second episode of The Conviction of Max B. now. If you haven't heard the first episode already, I recommend you go back and listen. You can hear all of the episodes now for free over on Spotify. Just go to the app and search for Conviction. A heads up, this story contains descriptions of graphic violence. Please take care while listening. Previously on The Conviction of Max B.,
1: He said, plain and simple, yes, I'm going to be a rapper. I'm going to be a famous rapper. I threw the CD in the car. I was blown away.
0: I was amazed. Like, he was a really musical genius. 40 grand? Who's 40 grand not tempted to? How much money do you have to have for 40 grand to not be tempted to you?
1: He said, I'm I'm coming right back. He said, I'm going to pick up some money. I got to go get some money. And I never saw him no more after that.
0: Something I've always wondered about Maxby's story is what really went down in the night that got him locked up. I heard rumors about a hotel room, a bag, and a gun, but also that Maxby was never at the robbery, that he was innocent. All I knew for sure was that a man had lost his life. Everything else was hazy. And when we first started working on the story, it felt like it was going to stay that way. We reached out to the people who were at the scene of the crime, called, hit them up on social media, sent letters, and even spoke to their families. It seemed like none of them would talk to us. But then, we caught a break. While reporting this story, we asked Maxby's legal team to share any materials they had related to this case. They handed over a stack of CDs, with thousands of pages of digitized court transcripts and folders of evidence. And deep inside one of those folders, we found some audio we weren't expecting. There were interviews with key witnesses, carried out by the detectives from the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office in the days after the crime. We weren't able to listen to all those recordings because some of the files had been corrupted, including Max B's. But thanks to the interviews that did survive, we were able to hear, for the first time, what happened that night, according to people involved. People like Maxby's girlfriend, Gina Conway, the person who told him about the bag full of cash. Gina,
2: that's your name, right? What's your full name?
0: Gina's talking to a detective named Mark Bindle. He starts the interview by offering her a cigarette.
2: Just be careful, this thing's going to light up pretty hard. I hope the guys in this precinct don't complain Gina
0: would eventually answer all of Bindle's questions about what she saw and did that night and she wouldn't be the only one to talk as the detectives questioned more people a story started to take shape it was a story of greed violence and fucked up decisions and it was one I never expected to hear My name's Brandon Jenkins, and this is A Conviction of Max P. Part Two, Bring the Money.
3: Gina, I'd like to talk to you about The incident
2: that happened at the Fort Lee Holiday Inn Hotel Thursday night going into Friday morning on September 22nd, 2006. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Something you should know about this interview is that it takes place in the middle of the night, right after Gina was arrested. She would later try to argue that she was too tired and upset to consent to an interview, but a court would dismiss that claim, partly because One of the first things you hear on the recording is Gina and the detective going over her Miranda rights and her agreeing she's there voluntarily and understands she can stop and ask for an attorney at any time. The next thing you hear is that detective offering her a cigarette and getting down to business.
2: Okay, so tell me how that came about. How did you get to meet these people? How were you introduced them or did you meet them on your own? How did that come about?
0: Gina tells him about how she met Max B. at a dip show in South Carolina and about how not too long after, she moved up to New York. And who did you live with? I
3: lived with, um, Charlie Wingate.
0: Charlie Wingate, aka Max B. Over the next four hours, the detective asked Gina all about their relationship. How she heard about that bag full of cash and how it all led to what went down in that New Jersey hotel room. What he doesn't say is that Gina's version of that night isn't the first one his team has heard. By the time the detectives caught up with Gina, they had already sat down with the man she and Charlie tried to rob. Alan Plowden, the con man with the bag. And he told the detectives all about how the night unfolded and how his world collided with theirs. For him, the story started on a Tuesday. Tuesday,
1: Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesday, I think that's the night that I met, uh, I think that's the night that I met this girl.
0: Plowden tells the detectives that on Tuesday, he was in Harlem, driving around in his flashy Mercedes. He had some time to kill, so he decided to grab a bite at a Caribbean spot. He says he stayed at the restaurant until it closed. And when he left, he noticed Gina Conway waiting across the street.
1: And just before I was about to get inside the car, that's when um, we made eye contact. And I walked across the street. And we just started, you know, some talk.
0: Plowden says she told him her name was Gina.
1: Could you describe for me? I believe she's Um, uh, uh, She's about five, four. Mm. Medium complexion, Um, petite, approximately about 120 pounds, 125 pounds. Approximate age, well,
0: she told me she was 22. Gina was actually 29. But even if she didn't give Plowden her real age, she told him other things that night that were true. Like why she was waiting on that street corner. Plowden tells the detectives Gina said her boyfriend was a musician. But he had stood her up to stay late at the studio. So she asked Plowden to hang.
1: So, you know, she invited me to go out and have drinks with her.
0: Plowden says they went out for drinks. Briefly hung out at a hotel in New Jersey. And then he paid for Gina's cab ride home. Plowden tells the detectives he was in town with his business partner, David Taylor. Together, they'd been running a mortgage fraud scam. One that had led to that bag filled with money. But Plowden didn't tell the detectives where it came from. Instead. He just says they were holding a lot of cash.
1: And how much money were you carrying? I had probably like about 32000 And where did you carry your money? I had, um, it was like a, a it was back sack, man, book bag.
0: More than $30,000 cash in a black Louis Vuitton backpack. He tells the detectives his partner, Taylor, was carrying as much as 20 grand. So they had maybe 50 grand between the two of them. And when Gina called Plowden to hang out again a couple days later, he picked her up and went to go spend some of that money. Plowden tells the detectives he and Gina went shopping at a mall and he bought them both some new clothes. This was a very different dynamic than Gina had with Charlie. In her interview with the detective, she says Charlie was the one who asked
2: her for cash.
3: He always would be asking me for money and
2: stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. So um I He's guess.
2: asking you for money?
3: Charlie?
2: Charlie asks you for money. Is
3: yes. that what you're saying? Charlie gets all my money.
2: He gets all your money.
0: She said she'd basically give him everything she made as an exotic dancer. Plowden, on the other hand, did not need her money. It seemed like he had plenty to spend. After shopping, Plowden and Gina stopped at a holiday inn in New Jersey. Plowden planned to stay there for the night, so he checked in and gave Gina a room key so she could use the bathroom. That small detail, the room key. It'll be important later. And after the hotel, they went back to the city and parted ways. Plowden was headed to meet up with his partner David Taylor and their dates for the night. And Gina, went straight to the Lincoln Projects.
2: Okay. Uh, And that's in Harlem, right?
3: Yeah.
2: And who did you meet at the Lincoln Projects? Charlie. And where did you meet him?
3: At the basketball court.
0: The same basketball court we told you about last episode, where Charlie would go to hang out, watch pickup games, and get fucked up with his friends. Gina says that's pretty much what was happening when she got there. People were passing around a bottle of Hennessy. She had some. Took some ecstasy and talked with Charlie.
2: But even through the Hennessy or the, uh, the ecstasy, is your recollection clear of the conversation you had with him? Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah. So you weren't under I, such I influence? Tell you, like, I can't tell you, like, word for word, what you say, but I can tell you.
2: Something. Okay, so you know what happened during that conversation. All right.
0: Gina says she told Charlie she'd been spending time with another guy. Someone with a lot of cash who could take her shopping and buy her nice things. She would later say she was trying to make Charlie jealous. But that night, she just told him, this guy had more money to spend. He
3: was just walking around with a bag full of money.
0: She told him that Plowden was driving around with a bag stuffed with cash. She guessed she had seen tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe 50 grand. Gina tells the detective that when Charlie heard about Plowden's bag, he had a lot more questions. He
3: just was like, oh, where is she?
2: Charlie asked you where is he?
3: Yeah, he was like, where is
0: Gina says she told Charlie pretty much everything. The hotel platinum was staying in, his room number, and that he was planning to be out all night at a club. She also still had a key to his room. Gina says Charlie listened to all of this. He decided to call his stepbrother, Kelvin Leardham, AKA Who's Sims? Gina just calls him Sims, and she tells the detective about what she overheard.
3: I just know that he was saying something like, you're going to do this and do that. I don't. I don't do think, what?
2: Like, what did he mean by do this and do he that? He was
3: telling him, like, you know, you're going to go. Um, I want you to, to, you and her, to go out there to the hotel and, and get that money.
2: In other words, rob the
3: guy.
2: Yeah. This is
0: where the story gets sticky. We've talked to Sims too, and he told us a very different version of this night. He says he was never there, never talked to Charlie, never participated in anything that went down that night. He says Gina framed him, because he was getting between her and Charlie, and she wanted him out of the picture. But five witnesses would either tell the detectives or testify in court that Sims was involved. That number includes Gina, who tells a detective Sims showed up at the basketball court about five minutes after Charlie called. And that's when Charlie, the rapper on the cusp of stardom, started to lay out a plan for an easy score, one that involved her and Sims.
3: So
2: now Charlie is talking to you. And what's he say to you?
3: This is like, um, he's like, if you do this for me, then, baby, and he's like, I'll he love me forever. Something like that. Like, oh
0: I want to make sure you heard that last part. She says Charlie told her, "If you do this for me,
2: baby, I'll love you forever." Do what for him?
3: If I go with um, uh, with who? If, if I go with him. And do what? Like, he said,
2: if I pull it off, uh, you know, if, if Sims got the money or something oh, In like. other words, Rob J. That's what you're saying, right?
0: Yeah. J is Plowden's nickname. It's what Gina calls him during this interview. The detective doubles down here. He really wants to make sure he's clear on what Gina's saying.
2: And then Charlie told you to go with Sims to go Rob Jay. Is that what, in essence, what he told you? Yes. And what was your response to that?
3: I just, I just said okay.
2: And did Sims also say okay? Is that a yes?
3: Yes. Okay.
0: Up until now, this is just a group of people talking at a basketball court. Nothing has happened yet, but no matter how casually it had come together, this has become a plan for a burglary, one that would change Charlie, Gina, and Sims' lives forever. The first step, Gina would take Sims to New Jersey and lead him to the Holiday Inn. So long as Plowden was still off at the club, the room would be empty. They would go in, take the bag of $50,000, and leave before anyone knew they were there, no one would get hurt. All they needed to do was make sure they got back to the room before Plowden did. That's up next. Charlie, Gina, and Sims were cooking up their plan at the basketball court, Alan Plowden was having a very different night. He, his partner David Taylor, and two other women were out on the town, and it was only a matter of time before they'd go back to the hotel. So if Gina and Sims were going to get there before Plowden did, they didn't have a minute to spare. But almost right away, they hit their first problem. Nobody had a way to get to Jersey. No car. No getaway driver. I'm no expert, but what Charlie did next probably wasn't the best solution. He called a cab.
1: Who contacted you to make this uh, cab ride? Uh, I don't know his name, but one of the guys from, I think, uh, from Di- uh, Diplomat.
0: The cab driver's name was Mohamedou and Binge. He had driven Charlie once before and knew he was somehow affiliated with the Harlem rap crew, the Diplomats, A.K.A. Dipset.
1: Where did he tell you he wanted you to bring this male and female?
0: He told me on the phone that he wanted me to
1: uh, go to Jersey to the holiday and, and bring, take his brother and his girlfriend to bring them back to New York. Okay. So he wanted you to bring them to the holiday in New Jersey he, and, and then wait for them and bring them back to yes, New York.
0: Yes. The job was straightforward. Take these people to a hotel across the river, wait, and bring them back. He says he told Charlie it'd take him a while to pick them up, and Charlie said that was fine. But it wasn't. If Gina and Sims were gonna pull this off, they needed to get to that hotel room fast. It took him Bengay an hour to get there. And after he arrived, it didn't seem like Gina and Charlie were in too big of a rush.
1: They me in case and stuff. And then she came back in the car, we left and left with me.
0: Finally, the taxi was headed over the George Washington Bridge and into New Jersey, with Gina and Sims in the back seat. And Binge had no idea what they were up to. And he tells the detectives Gina and Sims basically sat in silence until they got to the holiday and parking lot. Did anybody
1: get out of the car? Yeah, they, they both got out of the car. Okay. And what did they do? Did they go inside? They went inside.
0: And a few minutes later, they were back. It wasn't the
1: one they was looking for,
0: they said. Wrong Holiday Inn. Gina was the only one who knew which Holiday Inn was the right one. But she couldn't remember what town it was in. And keep in mind, this was 2006. No iPhones, no Androids, no Google Maps in your pocket. So if you got lost in New Jersey, you were on your own. But they didn't turn back.
1: What did they ask you to do then? They told me to go to another Holiday Inn.
0: It happened again. And again. And again.
1: And how many different Holiday Inns do you think you stopped at that night? Maybe four or five.
0: Finally, after two hours of searching, they found the right Holiday Inn. It was time to put their plan into action. But in Bengay tells the detectives, Gina noticed something that she thought Sim should see.
1: When you pulled into the parking lot, did the male and female look at any of the vehicles? Did they make any comments? Yes. She said, like, look at them cars, the car that was parked in the front. And she said, well, he's here too.
0: It was Plowden's car the white bins The plan had been to come while Plowden was out, but now it looked like they'd missed their chance. If Plowden was back in that hotel room, it would be much riskier and more dangerous to keep going. But they got out anyway. They told the taxi driver to go park and wait. Then they walked up to the side of the hotel. Gina tells the detective they got inside the building and took the elevator to the fourth floor. She led Sims to Plowden's room, and started to feel nervous when Sims asked her to
3: open the door. I thought I was just going to show him the room. I was nervous, like I didn't know. I just didn't know what this was going to
0: happen. Gina tells the detective she didn't know what was going to happen next. She thought she would only show Sims the room and then leave. At that point, Sims had put on a pair of gloves and pulled out a roll of duct tape. And it was here, outside of Plowton's hotel room door, that Gina says she noticed Sims take out a gun. And
3: then she was just like open the door.
0: With Sims standing off to the side, Gina took out the key and tried the lock. But the key didn't work. The key not working could have been the end of it. They could have called it right there. Walked back to the taxi and gone home. But that's not what they did.
3: I knocked on the door and then um this girl came to the door.
2: The girl came to the door. Okay.
0: The girl was Plowden's date, Giselle Nieves. She also knew him by the nickname Jay. And the girl
3: came to the door. I was like, Where's Jay?
2: You asked her, Where's Jay?
3: Yeah, I said, Where's Jay? Yeah. She said like, he's stupid. And when she opened the door.
0: I should pause here, because once Jean and Sim step into that room, The story takes a violent turn. Please take care while listening. Gina says that as soon as Plowden's date opened the door, Sims stepped out with the gun and forced his way into the room. Plowden was in bed. He'd been partying that night and was fast asleep. So Sims asked Plowden's date, Where's the money? Where's the money? And then demanded she help him and Gina find it.
2: How did you try to find the money? Like, what were you doing? And where did you look?
3: I looked, like, in the cabinet, in the drawers and stuff. And I looked in the bag. What bag? The black bag. The backpack? Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't in there.
0: Gina tells the detective that no matter where they looked, they couldn't find the money. And eventually, Sims passed Gina the tape and told her to tape the woman up. Gina took her into the bathroom and used a tape to bind her arms and feet together and cover her mouth. She told Plowden's date to stay in the bathroom and left to check on Sims.
2: Now, when you came out of the bathroom, what was Sims doing?
3: He was, he was standing there with a the gun and he just was looking all weird. All weird? Yeah.
2: What about Jay? Where was he?
3: He was asleep.
2: Was he awake at all no. when you came out of the bathroom? No. So Jay is still
3: sleeping? Yeah.
0: Plowden had somehow slept through all of this. But Gina tells the detectives Sims wanted to talk to him.
3: He was like, wake him up. I was like, I was like, you want me to wake him up? And he was like, wake him up.
0: Gina says she walked up to the bed where Plowden was sleeping, reached out her hand, and tapped him.
3: What's the next thing
1: that you recall? Um, being woke up out of my sleep with a gun close to my head and on the roof.
0: Plowden hadn't heard any of the commotion before this, so he says he woke up bleary-eyed to find Gina standing over him and a man pointing a gun at his head. Plowden had never met Sims, so he doesn't name him in this interview, but he would later ID him as the gunman. Did
1: they... Do anything to restrain you? Gina put tape on my legs. She put tapes on my hand, and she put tape over my eyes. What type of tape was that? It, it looked as though it was like that... that gray dark tape duck tape.
0: Plowden tells the detectives, Sims only wanted to know one thing: Where's the money? He says Sims would ask and ask, and when Plowden didn't tell him, Sims would hit him in the head. Plowden says he feared for his life. He knew where the money was, but he felt that if he gave it up, Sims would have no reason to keep him alive. What Gina and Sims didn't know was that Plowden's cash was right next to them in the hotel room trash can. Earlier that night, CloudNet had taken out the trash bag, hid his cash, jewelry, and car keys at the bottom of the bin, put the bag back, and filled it with trash. But he wasn't about to tell them that. Sims could see he wasn't getting anywhere, and he tried a new idea.
1: And then he said, uh, What about your friend? You got in his room? He said, uh, I'm going to ask you one more time or I'm going to kill
0: you. Sims knew Plowden had a partner, David Taylor, was staying in the same hotel, only a couple floors down.
1: Did you eventually tell them what room he was in? It to be, um, after he put the gun in my mouth and threatened my life, I told him what he was in. He put the gun in your mouth. Yes.
0: None of this had been part of the plan and the situation was spiraling out of control. And as soon as Plowden gave up the room number, Sims decided they wouldn't be going to Taylor. Taylor would come to them. Plowden says he was lying on the ground with a gun pointed at his head when Sims grabbed the hotel phone and dialed Taylor's room. He whispered that if Plowden acted like anything was wrong, he would kill him and then he put the receiver to Plowden's ear.
1: And what did you say to David? I said, uh, I wanted to keep the conversation short and brief. So when I got on the phone and I spoke to him, I said, uh, Dave, bring the money. Bring the money. He said, huh? And I said, bring the money. And then he just, I up the phone. But I knew he something voice.
0: A few minutes later, there was a knock at the door. Plowden says Sims covered him with some bedding and left him lying on the floor. He tells the detective Sims hid behind the door and told Gina to open it. And it was in that moment, with Sims and Gina distracted, that Plowden had just enough time to peel the duct tape off one of his eyes.
1: You know, I managed to, like, peep without him noticing me, and he was, like, behind the door in the corner. Gina opened the door.
0: Plowden says Gina opened the door, and Taylor walked into the room. He saw Sims, he saw the gun, and he reacted.
1: Igenia was opening the door slowly. And then David walked into the room? And that's when that guy, he, he tried, Dave tried to grab the gun. And through the struggle, the gun had went off.
0: The bullet hit Taylor in the face. Plowden says he saw his partner collapse and take his final breaths on the hotel room floor.
1: I remember Gene was saying, oh, you better tell him where the money at or you next. Uh, I mean, he came back over to me and put the gun to my face again, I felt the
0: heat for that. Plowden tells the detectives his mind was racing. He was desperate for a way to get out of there alive. But before he could move, Gina and Sims made a decision. The robbery had just become a murder, and they didn't want to be in that hotel room any longer. They grabbed all the phones in the room, Sims pulled the earrings out of Plowden's ears. He took the watch off of Taylor's limp wrist. They shoved everything into a bag. And then, they left. When the police arrived, Plowden would leave the hotel with them. He hadn't committed a robbery that night, but he would be arrested. It turns out, about a month earlier, he had told an undercover FBI agent about a scheme to launder more than a million dollars. He would later plead guilty to conspiracy to commit mail and bank fraud and serve time in prison. And this night at the Holiday Inn brought the cops right to him. But right now, the detectives need Plowden to finish telling them what happened inside that hotel room. It's been less than a day since he was tied up with a gun pointed at his head. Less than a day since he watched his partner die. And at one point, You can hear him start to break down while answering the detectives' questions. And what bag were they using?
1: Um, My Louis Vuitton bag that I had. What what color was that bag? Can you describe it? A bit a time bag. <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
2: do, do you know what they placed back? I don't Did they get anything from the room, to your knowledge? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Plotin collects himself, answers some more questions, and the detectives wrap things up.
1: Detective Allen, do you have any questions? No, I do
2: Allen, is the information you provided here the truth? Yes. Were any threats or promises made to you in order for you to provide this information? I know. May this, this conclude. The uh, time is 4.59 p.m.
0: The way Gina tells it, she, Charlie, and Sims had started the night with a vision of easy money, an empty hotel room, a stuffed bag, and the thrill of knowing they'd end the night wildly richer than they'd started it. But that wasn't how things went. Not long after Gina and Sims left Plowden's hotel room, their taxi was back on the George Washington Bridge, headed to New York City. But they weren't coming home with a Louis Vuitton bag stuffed with cash. Instead, they had a few hundred dollars, some clothes from the mall, Plowden's earrings, and a dead man's watch. Gina says that once they were back, Sims got in touch with Charlie, the person who'd sent them in the first place. Our producer David Fox asked Charlie about that moment. How did you find out that everything had gone wrong, that that somebody had died?
1: Man, I don't know, you sure you want to go that
0: like that? It's part of the job, Charlie. I unfortunately, I do have to ask.
1: Who called and told me when everything went this shit?
0: Who was what Charlie called Sims? He called
1: and told me, like, yo, everything went this shit, bro. I need
0: you. that has got to be crazy to get a call like that. You remember how you felt?
1: I was kind of, I was just upset. You know what I'm saying? I was upset. That ain't the call you want to hear I want I just was
0: like highly upset upset like how like afraid guilty nervous just upset just like
1: yo like what the fuck like think he's about to go to jail for some stupid shit
0: he was right people were about to go to jail in the days after the robbery the detectives put together the story of what happened that night it ended up being a story about a bad plan a detour-filled cab ride, a botched robbery, and a murder. And when it was all laid out, it seemed so impulsive, so senseless. And even though Charlie wasn't at the Holiday Inn, he still played a part. And it wouldn't be long before it caught up to him. That's next time on Conviction.
1: Somebody told me one piece Then I heard another piece of something, and then the next thing I know, the detectives is knocking on my door. They wanted to ask me about my son. It
3: was the middle of the night, you know what I'm saying? They just
1: woke me up and they was like, yo, get dressed, you you being arrested for felony murder or whatever. And that was it.
0: The Conviction of Max B. is a Spotify original podcast in Gimlet production. This episode is produced by David Fox. Our producers are Leah Yates, David Fox, Chris Neary, Hannah Chen, Heather Rogers, and Matilde Urfelino. Our supervising producer is Matthew Nelson. Our editor is Brendan Klinkenberg. Additional editing by Caitlin Kenney. Additional reporting and editing by Elias Light. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Original music, scoring, sound design, and mixing by Katherine Anderson. Additional engineering and original music by Lonnie Rowe. Music supervision by Liz Fulton. And special thanks to Meg Driscoll. All of the episodes of this season of Conviction are available now for free on Spotify. You can find our full catalog, that's all four seasons of the show, on Spotify as well. My name is Brandon Jenkins. I'll see you next episode.